All right. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, would you turn to Genesis chapter 39 and then John chapter 8? Sorry, I got the order wrong on everything. Genesis chapter 39 and then John chapter 8. We're continuing in our series this morning called Dreamer. And the idea behind this series is that God has a dream and a destiny for every single person. If you are alive, God has an incredible calling on your life. He hasn't called you to just get by or to just exist or to live what you would consider to be an insignificant, meaningless life. He has an incredible dream for you. And before you can walk into that dream, you have to pass a series of character tests. Because if God were just to give you the fullness of what he's called you to, without having the character to support it, you would be absolutely crushed by it. So it's really important that as we're trying to walk into the fullness of what God's called us to, that we walk through the different character tests that we come across and that we pass these, because it's only in passing them that we're able to walk into the fullness of what God has for us. And this week, we're talking about the purity test. And the idea behind this one is that it's your ability to steward your body and your desires. Last week, we talked about the palace test, which is where Joseph was stewarding someone else's possessions and households. But this time, as we look at Joseph, we find out he's having to steward his own body and desires. And the purity test is a very, very hard one. This is one where I see so many people that have incredible potential and promise inside of their life. God has called them to amazing things. But because they continue to fail in this area, they aren't able to walk into everything that God has called them to. And as a pastor, that really breaks my heart. Because I see what God wants to do in your life. Uh, I know that because I've, I've been through that myself and I've seen how that affected my own calling. And that's why it's really important that we talk about this and we're open about it so that we can walk victoriously through this test and not continue to be those who fail it. And for me, growing up, anytime I heard people talk about purity, I, mean, I hated these sermons so much because this is what happened. I would sit there as a young man with... Like, just like every other young man, you have young man desires inside of you. And they would be sitting there talking about all of the you know, things they had to be pure before the Lord and what he's called you to. And I felt like I was the worst sinner in the entire world. I felt awkward. I felt uncomfortable. I felt ashamed. I felt guilty because I knew that what I was in right then, I wasn't living a pure life, that I was sexually immoral, but that God had called me to something different. But what I didn't realize was that I wasn't the only person in the entire room that was dealing with it. See, what happens is when you're struggling with purity, Satan will come and he will tell you, you are the only person on earth that struggles in this area. You are a bad person. If anybody else finds out, they're going to think you're a pervert. They'll never trust you again. And so you live there, you feel separated and distant from God because of the way you're living, and then you feel completely disconnected from people because you can't be yourself. You can't be honest with others and explain to them what your struggle is and what you're going through because you're afraid that they're going to judge you if they find out what you're really like. Well, this morning, I want you to know that if, if you're sitting there like I did so many times, uh, don't, don't feel alone because you aren't. This is something that every person struggles with. Absolutely everybody, men, women of all ages at all times are continuing to have to pass the purity test in their life. And uh, though we all struggle, actually, you know what, I mean, I'll spend a little bit more time on this one because I think it's really important. Um, statistically, if we're looking at this, in the church, these are what the stats are for the church. In the church, the people are sitting here right now, 50% of them view pornography. And it was something like 90% of them have engaged in premarital or extramarital sex. 
And for everybody that, let's say that you've been one of the few that hasn't been caught up in one of those areas, Jesus said that if you even look at a woman lustfully or a man lustfully, that you've committed adultery in your heart. So what that means is that every single person has been guilty of sexual sin at some point in their life. So if that's something you're struggling with right now, don't feel alone. Don't feel ashamed. Don't feel embarrassed about that because you aren't alone. In fact, I could start out every service by saying, Hey, welcome to Radiant Church. I'm Jeremy. I'm so glad you're here. Why don't you turn and greet the adulterer next to you? And, you know, (laughs) nobody would come back. But according to the standard that Jesus laid out, that's something that you could say and it's true. And what I'm saying, though, is that though this is an area where we all struggle mightily, this isn't an area that you have to be defeated in. Because the good news is that Jesus came and through Jesus, your sins were forgiven. He went to the cross for you because he knew the struggles and the sin that you were engaged in and he knew how that was keeping you removed from his presence and he wasn't willing to go through eternity like that. He came and he laid down his life for you so that your sins would be forgiven. And not only have your sins been forgiven, but your guilt and your shame have been removed. And this is how that happens. You think, well, how can my guilt and shame be removed? Because even though I'm forgiven, let's say someone wrongs you, or let's, better yet, let's say that you've wronged someone, and they forgive you, you still feel awkward around them because you still remember what happened. You remember the hurt that occurred, the offense that took place. So this is what God does. It says that he takes the memory of your sin and he casts it away from himself as far as the east is from the west. And he remembers your sins no more. What that means is that you can live without guilt, shame, and condemnation from the sins of your past because God has forgiven those things and he's cast them away. You don't have guilt or shame anymore because of that. And not only has God forgiven your sin and removed the guilt and the shame, but he has given you the power to now live a new life where you are free from the sin that once entangled you. It says that his very spirit, the Holy Spirit, comes and dwells inside of us. And that Jesus didn't just come to forgive us for our sin and prop us back up so we go out and sin some more and come back and get cleaned up and go back and forth and back and forth. And if that happens to you for a while in your life, then you know, keep coming back to Jesus. If you find yourself continuing to sin, keep coming back and repenting and asking God to forgive you. But this is the key part, is ask God to strengthen you so that you can resist the temptation because God didn't just come to, to forgive the sin, he came to free you from the sin so that you don't have to continue to live that way anymore. And not only has he come to put his power inside of you so that you can live a new way, but he's also given you the church. The the people who believe in Jesus, those that have bent our knee and said, God, you are our king, our faith and our trust is in you. Come and dwell inside of us. And now you're surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus who are here to encourage you, to support you, and to pray for you so that as you're going through your struggle, you don't have to do it alone. You have a group of people around you who are going to support you through that. Now, maybe you have this experience of where people have been judgmental in the past and you feel like you can't be open. Well, That's unfortunate because that's sinful on the other part. What God wants for us to be, and so for those of you that right now find yourself struggling in the area of purity, and for those of you who find yourself struggling with judgmentalism right now, uh, you need to know that we've been called to love each other. We've been called to be gracious and forgiving with each other. We are called to be those who come alongside and support those as we're walking through whatever sin it is that we're dealing with. And the reason that God has done so much to empower us and to make it so that we can live a life free from sexual sin 
is because that's a really, really difficult thing for us to do in this day and age. Uh, if you look at the sexual ethic of the world and what they find to be permissible, acceptable, and good, and then you look at the way that God's called us to live, I mean, they are polar opposites. They are extremely different. And so people freak out when you say that I'm going to live my life according to the calling that God has on me. And this is nothing new. This is something that's been going on since the beginning of time. When we look back at the first Christians who were in the Roman Empire, the Romans actually considered them to be freaks. They called Christians uh, a, a cannibalistic sex cult. And this is why they called them that. They said they were cannibals because they claimed to eat the body and the blood of Jesus. And something, okay, yeah, I guess I can see how you would think that if you didn't know what that was about. So they thought they got together and they ate people. And then because of the fact that they lived according to a sexual ethic that was different than them, they thought it must be some kind of weird sex cult because they believed that sex was only to be expressed between one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage for life. And compared to the Romans and the way they were living, this is just absolutely bizarre. For them, the, the typical way that a Roman lived, this, the way their culture was, was that prostitution and orgies and pornography, these were all things that were just a normal and accepted part of your life. They had four different types of marriage that you could mix uh, any sex combination, any age combination inside of there. And even in the marriage itself, though it was monogamous, you couldn't have multiple partners, it was expected that you would continue to have affairs outside of your marriage. That was normal and that was accepted. So when the Christians came along and they decided that they were going to live according to God's calling on their life, they thought they were freaks. And if you do the same thing today in our day and age, if you say that I'm going to live my life according to the purity that God has called me to, the world's going to think that you're crazy too. And the reason that this becomes so hard for us to live in this new way is because this world that is so accepting and very permissive when it comes to purity, that's a world we were all part of. You weren't born a Christian. You weren't born with God's sexual ethic implanted inside of you. You had a life before the life that you're living now. And so you developed appetites, desires, and ways of thinking that conform to the way that the world works but don't line up with what Jesus has called us to. And not only that, but then you take the old appetites that you have and mix that in with the temptation and the social pressure that we find ourselves in. And what happens is for many of us, you begin to compromise and you say, okay, I'm going to live the new life that I have in Jesus following him, and I'm going to go to church, I'll worship, I'll tithe, I'll serve in kids, like all the things that you think of, like, wow, those are spiritual giants. But they say, but I'm going to keep the old sexual ethic. I'm going to follow Jesus in all these areas, but this is the area where I'm going to continue to live the old way. And this really hit home for me when I was actually looking at houses. The house that we have now, um, I remember when we went to see it, and as we walked in the door, the first thing that really kind of shocked me was there were just crucifixes all over the walls. And these people had a crucifix. Every wall had it. You could be in a bedroom and there's four walls, there would be four crucifixes because there was one on every single wall. I was like, wow, these people are very religious. And then I discovered that for as many crucifixes as they had, they had just as many Playboy bunny stickers <laughs> in the house. And I was like, crucifixes and playboys. I was like, what's happened is they have said, I'm going to live this new life following Jesus, but I'm going to keep this part of my old life and continue to bring that into the new life that I'm living. You know, Jesus hasn't called us to be those who follow him in every area but one. He's called us to be those who fully surrender our life, who put to death the old way that we used to live. And that's a hard thing to do. 
It requires the empowering of God in your life to say that this is how I used to live, but that old me is dead. And I have a new life. The Holy Spirit is living inside of me. And now I'm going to lay down everything else and I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what the cost may be. No matter how it may go against the culture that I live in, I am committed to following you, Jesus. And that's the only way that you can pass the purity test. It isn't easy. It's an extremely hard test. It's a test that you don't just pass once and then you're done with it forever. It's something that day by day you continue to walk through this test. But before you can walk into the fullness of God's calling and God's destiny for your life, this is a test that you're going to have to learn how to pass. Joseph lived in the midst of a very impure culture. But he, tasked, he passed this test with flying colors. And this is the account of it in Genesis 39. In verses 6, six through 12, it says, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. This is the guy that I like to liken myself to biblically. <laughs> and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. And she wasn't talking about telling untruths. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Now, if you're going to live out your destiny and live a life of purity, there are a couple of things that you need to know first about impurity. And the first thing is that impurity starts with your eyes. It says, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. This is a good-looking guy. And it's not that Potiphar's wife wakes up one day and says, you know what, I'm going to go out and I'm going to cheat on my husband with the first guy I see. It's that she's living her normal life, but she begins to notice that this guy is really good looking. It starts in the eyes. And it says that she cast her eyes on him. And that means that she's really focused in on him. There's longing and there's desire in the looking. And when you allow that to happen, when you allow your eyes to focus on something that you shouldn't be looking at, it will stir up lust inside of your heart. And that lust will then lead you to the place of action. See, if you guys have ever made a purchase in your life that you've regretted, something that you weren't planning on buying, something you couldn't afford, something you didn't even really want in retrospect, but you bought it, it's because you first saw it. And you looked at it a little bit too long. Uh, my, my, My wife and I were at a wedding one time. There were about two hours to kill in between the ceremony and then the reception. And there was a guitar center nearby, so I'm like, hey, well, let's go stop into the guitar center and kill some time there. And she's like, yeah, and that was a bad, she should not have been with me on that one. I needed her to be strong. <laughs> so we walk in there, and remember, this is a point in my life, uh, we've been married maybe two years, and I think a couple weeks ago I was talking about how we didn't have money to buy furniture, so we had to sit on the floor in the living room and cry. Well, at this point we had one couch, it was a given-to-us couch, and it was a chiropractor's dream because every time you sat on it, you had to go get an adjustment. It was horrible. <laughs> And so I'm there at the Guitar Center with no money, no furniture in my house still. And we're looking, there's this pyramid of guitars on the wall. And in the bottom, it's the cheaper guitars that probably were still out of my price range. And then they got smaller. And as I went up the pyramid, you got to the really expensive, nice guitars. And I'm sitting there and I'm just looking around. And I look up at the very top of that pyramid. And I see this PRS Custom 1024 
with a tent top and bird inlays on it. And I cast my eyes at it. And lust was stirred up in my heart. And I asked the guy, I said, can you get that guitar for me? And so he, he gets a special hook thing and they get it down and I hold it and I had no business touching that guitar. And I'm playing it and I'm looking at it and it's beautiful in form and appearance. I mean, this guitar is, it's hot. And I'm playing it and then the, the sales guy starts putting a little pressure on, you know. He's like, yeah, that guitar looks good on you. I'm like, yeah, it does, doesn't it? And I'm looking in the mirror at it and I'm doing my little guitar poses, doing some kicks and stuff. Oh, I could really use this guitar. And then my wife says, well, do you want it, dear? I'm like, yeah. She's like, all right, let's get it. I'm like, yeah, let's get it. Before she can change her mind or realize what we're doing, I'm like, let's go to the cash register right now. Now, I had no money. I had to get a Guitar Center credit card, which I had to max out. I had to max out my personal credit card, and I had to max out my debit card to be able to get this guitar. I had no money. And after we got it, I remember going home, and kind of the newness wears off, and I'm sitting on the floor crying again because I still don't have furniture, and I have this really awesome guitar that I really didn't want, I didn't really need, and I certainly didn't want to pay that kind of price for it. But it started in my eyes. And that's how it is for us too with our purity, is that your impurity, the lust that will be stirred up in your heart that will lead you to action, always starts first in your eyes. Because you look at something you shouldn't be looking at. Or you gaze a little bit too long on something that you have no business with. And that's why it's so important that if you want to live a pure life, you have to guard what your eyes see. Well, that's tough for us. We live in a digital age. We're in a media-driven world. You have to be really careful what you allow your eyes to see in your movies and TV and books, what you look at online. There are a million ways for you to look at something and allow lust to then build up inside of you, which leads you to action. And it's not just in the media. I mean, just day-to-day life. Have you guys ever gone to the beach? you got to guard your eyes when you go to the beach. It used to be, I mean, men and women, it used to be, they used to wear bathing suits. Now men and women wear dental floss strategically just kind of like thrown on their bodies. If you want to stay pure, you've got to guard your eyes. You've got to look down on the ground when you walk. You're doing this. Or whatever it is. You have to be careful about this, the day-to-day interactions that you have because there are things out there that you have no business seeing. And if you want to keep your ways pure, you need to be responsible for what you allow your eyes to see. Now, there's going to be times you're going to see stuff on accident. This is what happened to King David. Remember, he's up on the roof of his house. It's at nighttime. He doesn't know. He just goes up there and he looks around and he sees a woman taking a bath. You know what he should have done? He's like, oh, man, I'm sorry. This is awkward. And he should have gone back in the house. Well, he went back in the house, but he came back with the binoculars. <laughs> and because he allowed his eyes, he cast his eyes upon something that he had no business looking at. Lust was stirred up inside of him. And it led him to the place of adultery and then even into murder and all other sorts of terrible things. And it all started in the eyes. You have to guard what your eyes see or else it will affect your heart. Now, why is purity such a big deal? This is a question you ask a lot. Come on, if it's two consenting adults and we're in love, why does that really matter? And the answer to that is because, number two, impurity is a sin against God. Joseph says, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? when he's propositioned by Potiphar's wife. See, what he recognizes is that uh, sexual immorality, it's not really a sin against each other so much, which it is, but the bigger issue is that this is a sin that's against God. Your purity isn't as much about you and the other person as it is about you and God. 
You see, we have this uh, misunderstanding in our culture that's been brought up for a lot of young men and women. It's, it's like, hey, you know, you need to be pure. You need to save yourself for your spouse. That's a gift that you give your spouse. Well, that's true. You know what? You're not pure primarily for your spouse. You're pure for your God. We have this idea, so, I mean, this is how I grew up. It's like, you know, guys, we, I don't think girls got purity rings and guys got like purity daggers or something more manly. I don't know what it was. But it's like, hey, if you save yourself and you live a pure life and you don't look at things you shouldn't look at, then God's going to reward you with, if you're a girl, you're going to get a knight in shining armor and if you're a guy, you're going to get a maiden in a tower somewhere. And that's like, you think, that's my reward for my purity. This is what I'm saving my purity for. But that's not it. Before Mr. or Mrs. Perfect ever had your heart, your heart belonged to Jesus. You know, we devalue purity because we don't understand how important we are. You know, it says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now, the reason purity is so important is because the holy and living God lives in you. You are his temple. You're the place where the presence of God resides. And this is always the plan, but it hasn't always been the case for us. God's plan was always to live and to dwell in the heart of man, that we would encounter him and that we would walk with him. But through sin, we fell away. And this is what this verse is talking about. It says that you were bought with a price. You're not your own. See, you were living as a slave. Before you encountered Jesus, before he brought life into you, you were living as a slave. It wasn't just that you were someone who sinned occasionally. You were a, a slave to sin. You were in bondage to sin, and you couldn't stop if you wanted to. And Jesus looks at you and he says, This is my temple. These are the most important things in the world. And I can't stand here and watch it be defiled and destroyed in this way. So he comes down and he lays down his life for us to forgive our sins, to restore us to our Father so that once again God can come and live and dwell inside of us. And that's why your purity is so important because you were bought with a price. Jesus literally shed his blood on the cross so that he could buy you back and so that he could once again live inside of you and dwell in you, so that you could know your God, you could live the way that you had always been made to live. Now, when I was a kid growing up, they'd always say, hey, don't run in the church. This is the church. But there are all these rules that you made up about. You have to wear a tie in church, or you can't do blah, blah, blah in church, because this is the, the church, this is the temple of God. And so there are all these things and these restrictions that we put on her. If you go to the Louvre, you, you don't go up to the Mona Lisa and you don't paint a mustache on her. Why? Because there are certain things that are sacred. There are these spaces that you recognize that something important is going on here. If God came and he came to your home with you, you might be more careful, if Jesus is sitting on a couch, you might be a lot more careful about what you look at. You might be more careful about what you're doing. But this is what you need to understand, is that every moment of your life and everything you do, you are hosting the presence of God. He is there and he is with you. And when you commit impurity, what you're doing is you are defiling the temple of the holy and living God. That's why your purity is so important. Because you are worth more than you ever thought that you were worth. Your purity is so precious and so valuable because of who it's for. 
And that's Jesus. And then number three, impurity affects your relationship with God. Now, when you're committing sexual sin, you're usually like, hey, I'm going out to, to sleep around. Catch you later, Mom and Dad. No, you have to sneak around and do it. And so what you do is you start practicing hiding things from people. You start practicing being sneaky. That becomes the way that you live your life. And this is what's even worse, is that when you commit sexual sin, the Holy Spirit's going to talk to you about this. There's going to be conviction, not condemnation, not shaming you about it, but there's going to be conviction of where God's going to say, this isn't the life that I've called you to. You are stepping outside of the bounds that I've put on your heart for your own good and for your own safety. You need to repent. You need to come back to me. We need to work on this. You need to allow me to bring healing to you. But if you continue to live in sin, what happens is you begin to block out the voice of God. You get really good at not listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit anymore. And what happens in any human relationship when someone continues to bring something to your attention, you keep hurting them and you keep wronging them and you don't listen to them? That relationship's going to get destroyed. And that's the same thing that's going to happen with you and your relationship with God because you will, you will distance yourself from him. So many people that I meet and counsel with, uh, one of my questions is like, hey, how are you doing? How's things going between you and God? And when they say, oh, not so well, I don't feel close to him, well, now I know that there's something usually going on inside of their life. There's some sin issue that needs to be addressed because when sin is a part of your life, what you do is you try to distance yourself from God. You feel ashamed in his presence. And so you just try to avoid him. You don't pray. You don't read your Bible. You don't have that intimate time with him anymore because you're trying to protect yourself from feeling convicted. So you just keep yourself distant from God. When you allow impurity to be a part of the way that you live your life, when you don't repent of it, when it happens and it occurs and say, Jesus, forgive me and strengthen me and set me back up again that I can come back after you. When you allow that to be something that is an area of your life that grows and begins to dominate you and you start shunning the voice of God and you start living apart from his presence, your relationship with him is going to be destroyed. And that leads to number four, is that impurity affects your future. Remember last week we were talking about Joseph prospered because the Lord was with him. The way that God is with you, the way that God's manifest presence is on you is through relationship. But if you've destroyed that relationship with God, now you've completely destroyed your future. Because you can't walk into the fullness, you can't be prosperous in life and anything they put your hand to unless you have the presence and the blessing and the favor of God in you and what you're doing. You never think, that this is, when the Satan comes and he tempts you, he never says, these are all the things I'm going to do to you, this is what this one decision is going to bring about in your life, total destruction. You don't look at the, down the road how it happens. But this is what it leads to. If you allow lust to come in through your eyes, you've sinned against God, it's going to destroy that relationship with him and it's going to destroy the future and the plans and the destiny that God has called you to. But the most important thing that you need to know about impurity is that Jesus removes it. John 8, you guys are familiar with the story. It's the the woman caught in the act of adultery. And they bring her before Jesus and they're going to stone her because that's the penalty for adultery. She's a prostitute. And Jesus, and this is what it says in verses 10 and 11, Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin no more. Jesus forgives our sin. When we come to him, 
with our brokenness and our mess, and we're not trying to hide it from him, and we're not trying to have from his presence, but we just come and we're open on us and say, God, this is what I've been doing. Because you know what? He knows. He knows what you've been doing. And he doesn't come to bring you guilt and shame and condemnation because of that. He comes to forgive your sin. He comes to remove the sin from you. He comes to strengthen you so that you can live a new life. Jesus never excuses our sin. You know what he says when he doesn't say, hey, that's all right, it's, it's cool, we're fine, we're good, here, just go back to whatever you're doing. He says, your sins are forgiven, go and sin no more. And that's the calling that God has on all of us. If you've been struggling in this area, he wants to bring freedom to you in this area today. And he wants to make it so that you can go and you can sin no more. And I'm just going to fly through this because we're out of time, but how do you live a life free from sexual impurity? How do you go and sin no more? Number one, control your eyes. We already talked about that. Job 31.1 says, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. If lust begins in your eyes, then that's also a place that you can stop it from ever starting. Make a covenant with your eyes that you're going to guard them and not allow any impure thing to enter in. And then number two, you need to confess your sins. In James 5.16, it says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is power in, sorry, the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. You know, you can't stay pure on your own. You might think, well, I can't be impure if I'm not around anybody. No, you can't stay pure if you're on your own. Because you need the community around you that you can go to and confess your sins to them. Be real with them, be open and honest, and let them know what the struggle is that you're going through so they can come along and say, you know what? God can bring freedom in this area. And I'm going to pray for you. And it says that when you pray for them, that healing comes. Healing will come to you in whatever area it is, that brokenness that you have inside of you in relation to impurity. And God will bring healing to that, but it occurs inside of community. It occurs as we confess our sins. And then number three, you need to know God's word. Proverbs 119.9 says, How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. Now when tempted, Joseph knew what God's will was in this area. He knew what was permissible and he knew what was off limits. And because of that, he was able to resist and he was able to be obedient to God. But you can't be obedient to God if you don't know what his will is. That's why you need to study the word of God. You need to know what his plan and his will is for you and your life and your purity. And then number four, you need to flee sexual immorality. And the verse I have for this is 1 Corinthians 6 and it literally says, flee sexual immorality. When Potiphar's wife came on strong to him and was tempting him and giving him opportunity, what did he do? He ran. It didn't look like it was a very brave, manly, macho thing to do. But when you're in a situation where there's temptation, you're in a situation where there's opportunity, you don't need to be the one that's, I'm going to stand there, I'm going to be strong, and I'm going to withstand against the gale force winds. No, you need to get out of there. You just need to run. You need to run away from the temptation, and you need to run to your father the one who will strengthen you. Your calling is too important. The destiny that God has called you to is too great to allow it to be flushed away because you fail and you struggle in this area. There is freedom that Jesus brings. There is new strength. There is a new life that you can live. You are the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. The presence and the power of the living God is in you. And he's here with us this morning and he's wanting to do something new in your heart. Will you guys stand with me today?
Let's close our eyes and let's just spend a little bit of time praying before the Lord. It's really what I've been feeling like God's been speaking to me as I've been preparing this message. First of all, he reminded me a lot of what he's done in my own life. When I became honest, when I came to him and said, Jesus, I don't want to live like this anymore. I know this isn't your plan for my life. I want you to bring freedom to me. And then once I worked up the courage to be able to confess that to another friend, freedom came to me. And that's the way I continue to walk in freedom. It's by continuing to come back to God and continuing to going back to my friends and confessing my struggles and my trials and temptations to them. And they lift me up and they encourage me. And this morning, if you want to be free, God can bring freedom to you in this area. It's something that every single person struggles with. And you will continue to do so all of your life. But where temptation increases, grace increases even more. You guys want to get free this morning? Awesome. Let's pray together. I'm just going to lift my hands to the Lord because this is something I'm praying for myself too. And if this is an area that you need God to continue to strengthen you in or an area where you need repentance, then I encourage you to lift your hands to the Lord too as we cry out to him and say, Jesus, thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you for purchasing me with your blood. Thank you for making me your temple. Thank you for your presence and your power in my life. And this morning I come before you and I confess my sin and I ask for your forgiveness, God. Would you create a pure heart in me? Would you strengthen me to resist temptation? Would you give me strength to control my eyes? Would you give me courage to confess to friends? And would you bring about the abundance of your life in me? This morning I surrender myself to you and I pray that you, King Jesus, would reign and rule in me. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.